all men seek happiness. These were the words of Blaise Pascal. You probably know him as a scientist. He came up with the scientific method, but he was also a man who wrote about religious ideals as well. This is what he wrote. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever means they employ, all men tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. This is the motive of every action of every man or of every woman. Now, whether you agree or not that happiness is the driving motivation behind every one of your actions, whether you agree with that statement or not, all of us, I think, would agree that happiness is something that we naturally desire, something that we innately want. We all want to be happy. If you were to take a survey, probably 100 out of 100 people would answer the question, yes, do you want to be happy? They're not going to answer like all of the above or something, right? They're going to answer, yes, I want to be happy. Let me just give you a few little examples. A little girl steals a cookie from the cookie jar because she thinks that the cookie will make her happy. A young man seeks a girlfriend because he thinks that she will make him happy. A college student aspires to a high-earning career because he thinks that will make him happy. A young woman decides to be antisocial because in the moment she believes that the safety of isolation will make her happy. A middle-aged man buys a motorcycle because he thinks that it will make him happy in the midst of his crisis. But, but while all of us seek after happiness, so few of us seem to attain it, at least in any lasting sort of way. Let me reverse all of those for you. The little get, girl gets caught in the act of stealing the cookie. The teenage boy gets dumped by his girlfriend. The college student realizes that the high-rolling lifestyle is not all that it's cracked up to be. And the antisocial woman is now discouraged because she feels like she has no friends. And the middle-aged man... Well, he still likes his motorcycle. <laughs> but what might surprise most of you, or some of you, is that the Bible has much to say about happiness. Happiness is an important subject to God, and therefore it is a, a, or is a, a, a major theme in the Scriptures. But the happiness that God offers is of quite a different sort than the happiness that the world offers. You see, the happiness that we often think of when we hear the term happiness is circumstance-dependent. In other words, that our happiness depends upon whether or not we like or dislike our circumstances. Our happiness is dependent upon favorable circumstances. And because of that, happiness is there one moment, but then gone the next. We might say things like, well, I'm happy because the weather's nice today. Or I'm happy because it's the weekend. I'm happy because that girl texted me. I'm happy because I was able to go to a nice restaurant. Your team won the game last night. I'm happy because my wife cooked my favorite meal. I'm happy because I got the newest iPhone. And while that sort of happiness is not necessarily wrong, it's fleeting, it's short lived. Because it's dependent upon circumstances. And to be quite frank, it's really based upon things which are fleeting and superficial. The kind of the happiness that the Bible offers us, though, is, again, of 
quite a different sort. It is an inward happiness that flows from a sense of well-being and rightness. It involves a sense of contentment and satisfaction. It is based on God's promises. It is results from God's grace in a person's life. And get this, it cannot be taken away by external, cir- external circumstances or by our fluctuating feelings. One guy, a guy by the name of James, not this James, but James's friend, James Johnston, summed it up this way. Blessing is not superficial happiness that comes and goes, but a deep sense of joy from God's grace in my life. And so as you sit there this morning, let me ask you the question. What is it that makes you happy? And furthermore, how lasting is your happiness? How long does it remain? Is it there one moment, but then gone the next? Or to put slightly differently, is your happiness dependent upon being in the right place at the right time? Or having the right friends, or the right wife, or the right career, or the right paycheck? Well, my friends, I want all of us to consider what the Bible has to say about this great and grand subject of happiness, something that we are all after and all want. And I get this idea of of happiness from the first word in our passage, that word blessed. The psalmist writes, blessed is the man, or happy is the person, and then he goes on to describe such a person in the rest of the psalm. And so if you'll imagine with me uh, just walking down a path, and you're walking down this path, and you come to a fork in the road, And all of a sudden, you're made to choose the path that you will continue down. But at that fork is a sign, a trail map or whatever you want to call it, a trail sign. At the top of that sign reads Psalm 1. Down one column is the path, the picture, and the destination of the blessed man. Down the other column is the path, the picture, and the destination of the wicked man. And we're going to allow these contrasts to serve as the headings of our, psalm this, of our sermon this morning. The psalm gives us three contrasts of the two paths of life so that we might be motivated to choose the path of the blessed. So really there are two paths and only one makes sense for the psalmist to go down. And he's going to, he's going to show us that. He's going to demonstrate that to us. So the three headings, if you're taking notes, are these. The two paths, the two pictures and the two destinations, the two paths, the two pictures, and the two destinations. Firstly, let us consider the first, or the, the two paths. And again, the psalmist lays down two paths along the road of life. The first of these paths is the path of the wicked. And this is the path that the blessed man rejects. And we're going to take a look at that. The psalmist describes this path with three negative phrases. You can see that in your Bibles. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, this word counsel, it's a thinking term, or it's a term that refers to the mind. And so what the psalmist is saying is that the blessed man, the one who is happy, thinks in a particular way. And I want you to know that the person who is blessed, the person who is happy, does not think according to the, to the ways and the values and the, the ideals of this world. And then second, he says, he does not stand in the way of sinners. Now, this sounds a little bit odd in our English. It sounds like I'm not going to obstruct the path of a sinful person. But the idea here is not so much to stand in the way, but to stand or to take a stand with. And so the idea here is that the blessed man, the happy person, 
does not, does not side with sinners. That is, he does not side with those who reject God. In his conduct, in his speech, and in his lifestyle, the blessed man steers far away from these sorts of things. So the blessed man does not think like the world, he does not behave like the world, and he refuses to belong to the world. It says he does not sit in the seat of scoffers or of mockers. And the reference here is to those who would maybe make fun of Christianity, or those who would mock the Bible. There was released this past week a a statement by some conservative evangelical group. The statement was called the Nashville Statement. You might have heard about it. And it was a a statement that uh, tried to encapsulate what the Bible says concerning uh, gender um, gender and sexual issues. And, um, and it was named the Nashville Statement simply because that's where the meeting was convened and the final draft was written up. And um, the mayor kind of tweeted about it and said, this, this statement's poorly named. Um, it doesn't represent the inclusive values of our city and all the rest. And then um, uh, someone commented on the mayor's tweet, and this is what he said. How dare they abuse our wonderful city's inclusivity and steal our name for this horrible proclamation. All that the people were doing as part of this organization, they were just studying the Bible and stating what it said. But it's called a horrible proclamation. The things of God, the things that he values, the things that he endorses are unimportant, outdated, foolish, and revolting to the mocker. And you see a wee bit of a progression here, don't you? The man goes from listening, and then he goes to behaving or acting, and then he goes to belonging. So you can think of a young man maybe who is initially invited out to a party but then refuses to go. And then he eventually ends up at the party but then refuses to drink. And then eventually, over the course of time, he's at these parties consistently. He begins to partake in the drinking and the party. And you can kind of see this progression. He, he goes from listening, or he, sorry, he goes from hearing about the party to being at the party to partying at the party. And so we must guard ourselves, my friends, at every point in our heads and our minds and our thinking. We must guard our behavior and we must guard our allegiances. We must guard our attitudes and those whom we closely associate with. Why? Well, because this is what the happy man does. Contrary to what the world would tell you, you attain happiness not by running towards sin, but by running fast away from it. So that is the path that the blessed man, the happy man, rejects. Let's now take a look at the path that he embraces. They say that an iceberg is about, if you're like on a boat and you see an iceberg, 10% of it is above the water, meaning that what, 90% of it is below the water. And I think that um, why the blessed man, why he doesn't think like the world, why he doesn't act like the world, why he doesn't talk like the world, all those things. Why he doesn't do those things is because there's something shaping him far deeper. There's something shaping him at the core of his being. And this is what the psalmist is after. He's not after just the surface level stuff. He's after the very core of your being, the very core of who you are. And he's saying, let something, namely the word of God, shape you at that level. He's not just after the surface level of the the 10%. He's after the under-the-surface stuff of the 90%. Because there is a sense, my friends, in which who we are is not determined by the clothes we wear, 
And people cannot always detect who we are just by observing us from afar. Who we are is who we are below the surface, is it not? And that's where the psalmist directs his arrow. He gets after us exactly below the surface. And I get this from the two verbs in verse 2. Look with me there. He says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed man is a person who delights in the law of the Lord or in the instruction of the Lord. As an athlete delights over his favorite sport, as an artist delights over her skillful craft, as an animal lover delights over her cherished pet, as a farmer delights over a plentiful harvest, as a mother delights over her newborn son, so does the blessed man delight over the word of the Lord. But he not only delights in God's law, he also meditates upon it. And perhaps this is how he comes to delight in it. When we hear the word meditation in our culture, you can just think about it for a moment. When you hear the word meditation, what do you think of? I think most of us would think of a man or a woman sitting down, legs crossed, eyes closed, hands beside his head. Emptying our minds. And that's the, that's the concept that we think of when we hear the word meditation. But the meditation, according to the Bible, is of quite a different thing sort. Meditation, according to the Bible, is not the emptying of our minds, but rather the filling of it with biblical truth. And the idea here is to murmur in a low voice or to speak to ourselves. And so psychologists will tell you that if you speak to yourself, if you talk to yourself, you're nuts, okay? The Bible tells you that if you speak to yourself God's word, then you'll be blessed. A helpful illustration of this is um, the cow and his cud, okay? So a cow goes to the field, eats the grass, digests it, expels some of it, but he keeps some of it for later, doesn't he? And he brings the grass up in the form of a cud so that he can chew on it later. And so with all due respect, let me tell you that the exhortation of the psalmist is to be a spiritual cow. We digest the food of God's word and we regurgitate it at certain points throughout the day so that we can ponder it And we can think upon it. And so these are the two paths down the road of life. The path of the wicked and the path of the blessed. And both are calling loudly to us. If you ever go to a market overseas, not in Canada because we're too polite, but if you ever go to a market overseas, vendors yell to you and scream to you, buy this, buy my product, good deal, only five shekels. Right? Right? And, and different vendors are calling to us and, and, and vying for our attention and for our money. And both the world and the Lord are calling loudly to us for our attention and for our allegiance. And the question is, to whom will you give your allegiance? Which path will you go down? Will you go down the path of the blessed or will you go down the path of the wicked? Who or what is going to set the direction of your life? Who or what is going to determine who you are and what you are below the surface? And who or what is going to shape you and mold you as a person? And the, and the, biggest, and the big question is, is it going to be this book or some other source? Is it going to be the Bible, the word of the living God as he has given it to us through this book? Or is it going to be some other source? Now, some of you might object to that. You're like, I don't know, why, why, why the Bible? I don't want the Bible to rule over me. I don't want the Bible to be telling me how to live my life. 
Let me just, come, let me just try to respond to that in, just in one, with one angle. Suppose you drive a 1998 Toyota Tercel. It's old, so it's having issues. And it's failing to start at times, and it's starting to make noises. And, and you're like, obviously something's wrong with it. You have two mechanics at your disposal. One of them is a Japanese man. And he actually used to design Toyota Tercels around the time period in which your car was made back in Japan. He's retired now, and he's decided to become a mechanic. The other mechanic in town, he works mostly with Fords and only with American cars. Who do you go to with your broken-down Toyota Tercel? Obviously to the Japanese man. Obviously to the man who knows how your car operates and works, to know, who knows how your car ticks and what might be wrong with it and how to fix it because he knows it through and through. Now, in the illustration, we are like the Toyota Tercel and God is like the Toyota mechanic. God knows how we function, what makes us tick, what is wrong with us, how to fix us, what will make us ultimately happy. Friends, God is the one who has made us, and he has made us with a desire to be happy. And so obviously then, if he is the designer, then he owns the owner's manual. And so obviously then, if that is the case, then God knows what will make us tick or what will make us happy. He also knows what will break us and what will cause us to be miserable. And he has designed human beings in such a way, and he's telling us in this psalm, he's telling us, that he has designed you and me in such a way that if we are shaped and molded by his word, then we will indeed be blessed and happy people. And this was true even in the garden, my friends. Adam and Eve needed instructions from God in order to live a happy and a blessed life. And so it is with us. Some of you might not buy that, and that's okay. You just keep coming back, and we'll keep loving you, and we'll keep preaching to you. Um, but others of you might be sitting out there, and you're saying, yeah, like, I am surviving and plodding along in life, but you're hurting. And you do feel empty, and you do feel purposeless at times. And you wonder to yourself, is this all that there is? My friends, let me encourage you and tell you and declare to you, not in an argumentative way, but just in terms of what we believe at this church, that this book is the source of all life-giving truth. My friends, God spoke the universe into existence. Let me ask you, do you not think that if you would allow his word to shape you and to mold you, that he would be able to give you perspective in your trials, that he would be able to give you hope amidst a hard and difficult season, that he's able to, re or to, to invigorate you and to give you vitality in your soul? Friends, consider this. This book is the source of all life-giving truth from the eternal and living God. We're going to transition to our second point now, but when you're reading along in a book, you rejoice when you come across a picture. If you're a college student or a university student, you rejoice because your page count has now lessened by one. <laughs> and believe me, I know what that's like, having done seven years of school or whatever it was. And if you're everyone else, you rejoice because the picture helps to illustrate and support what the author is communicating. And here the psalmist does that for us, by painting for us two pictures, a picture of a tree 
and a picture of chaff. And so here we come to, I guess, the second heading, the two pictures. First, let us consider the picture of the tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And as I look at this imagery, I'm sure we can pull a lot from it. But three adjectives I want to point out. One of them is the tree is stable. Second, the tree is fruitful. And thirdly, the blessed man is successful. So first, the tree is stable. And the word here uh, refers to a tree that's being kind of taken one from one field of land and transplanted in another place, namely a place by irrigation canals. And so it has been purposely transplanted and planted along irrigation canals. And so you can just imagine a tree planted by irrigation canals or planted by streams of water, its roots going underneath the riverbed and the vitality that that tree would enjoy. So because it is planted by streams of water, the tree is fruitful. It will produce fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And Jeremiah, picking up on the language of this psalm, Psalm 1, he's talking about uh, the blessed man who trusts in the Lord. He's like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. He talks about that same man. And he, talk, and he says how that kind of a person, the happy man, does not need to fear when the heat comes. And he need not be anxious when the drought, or when, when, in the year of drought. So I think the idea there is that even in the midst of difficult and trying and unwanted circumstances, the blessed man, the happy man, the one who trusts in the Lord and the one who meditates upon God's law day and night, that person is able to be this tree, a tree stable and a tree fruitful. Why? Because the roots of his soul go far deeper than into his present circumstances. His roots dig deep into God himself, who is the fountain of all living water. And he is anchored in God's word, again, the source of all life-giving truth. And so as you walk outside today, or as you're on a walk later this week, and you see a tree, a well-planted tree, a sturdy tree, a tree full of foliage and leaves, a a tree bright in all of its full color, My friends, let it remind you of the blessed man. So the blessed man is both stable and fruitful. Thirdly, he is successful. Look with me to the end of verse 3. In all that he does, he prospers. Now those guys on TV, or some of them at least, they will tell you that if you just do the things that we've been talking about, then God will make you rich. I do not think that that is the intention of the psalmist here. The idea is not so much that you'll become rich materially. The idea is not that you're going to prosper in terms of wealth, per se. Earlier in Israel's history, the baton was being passed from Moses to Joshua as the leader of God's people. And Joshua was given this monumental and grand task of going into the promised land, conquering the peoples that were there, and then taking possession of the land quite a task. Um, And then at the outset of that mission, this is what God told Joshua. In fact, why don't we just, you know, actually, let's not turn there, just for the sake of time. Let me just read it to you. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. 
So God's not saying, hey, Joshua, if you will do these things, then I will make you rich. What God is saying to Joshua is that if you will allow my word to shape you and to direct you, then I will give you success in the mission to which I have called you. And so it is with us. Our mission is different. We're not conquering the Canaanites and taking possession of the promised land. But the principle remains the same. As we seek to have God's word shape us and direct us, God will see to it that we are successful in the things that he has called us to do. So that's picture number one. A tree, stable, fruitful, successful in all that it does, in all the circumstances of life. Second picture is that of chaff. Now, in some churches, you have farmers as part of the congregation. At our church, we have a farmer on staff. So I was able to pick uh, Terry's brain a little bit this week about this chaff imagery. And the, ba- and the process basically goes like this. The stalks of wheat go into the combine. The wheat, because of its weight, falls to the bottom. And that's the most precious part of the, the wheat plant, I guess. Because it can be used for feed. And, um, and then the straw itself falls out the back of the combine. And they go up and pick it up later because it can be used for bedding. Not for the boys, but for the cows. (laughs) And then the chaff is what blows out the back of the combine, and Terry assures me that this psalm is right, that it's entirely useless, good for nothing. It is entirely unlike the tree. It is unstable, unfruitful, and unsuccessful because it can't be used for anything, and it kind of blows in the back, and it's gone forever. And this is what the psalmist says that the wicked is like. They are like chaff, entirely useless and blown away by the slightest of breezes. And I think the idea here is that because the wicked, not, or the wicked do not have the dependable grounding of God's word, they are susceptible to be blowing away by the wind. Let me just give you some examples. I'm not saying that this is true of all unbelievers. I'm just saying that this is kind of the thinking of the world, I, I, I believe. If your thinking is rooted in man's ideas, remember that they are ever-shifting. If your status is determined by others' opinions, remember that they are always fluctuating. If your identity is found in your own accomplishments, then remember that they are soon forgotten. If your delight is found in material possessions, then remember that they are quickly fading And if your happiness is based upon present circumstances, remember that they are always changing. I think the reason why the chaff blows away in the wind is because the chaff has no roots as the tree does. The chaff is not planted by streams of water that that gathers its nourishment and sustenance from an ever-flowing stream of God's Word and of God Himself, the fountain of living waters. But these two pictures, that's not always how it seems, is it? It doesn't always seem like the believer is like the vibrant tree and unbelievers are like the blowing in the, way, blowing in the wind chaff. For whatever reason, God in his great wisdom has allowed both the tree and the chaff to exist side by side during this present age. Let me give you just a quick illustration. I remember being in Samoa, so in the kind of South Pacific, shortly after a tsunami hit one side of the island. And I was, we were driving along uh, one of the roads along the coast, 
And I remember looking out the window and just seeing the devastating effects of the, of the waves upon some of the man-made buildings there. And so in some instances, you could just see like the, lo- the very lowest parts of the wall still standing. And behind them or around them, I think it was more behind them, there were these tall palm trees standing tall and strong as if the waves had never phased them. My friends, this is what it's going to be like on the day of judgment as the tsunami of God's wrath hits the shores of this earth. While the righteous and the wicked exist side by side now, just as the buildings and the palm trees did at one point, there is coming a day when they will be separated forever. And this brings us to our third and final contrast. We've looked at the two paths. We've considered the two pictures. And let us now soberly hear about the two destinations. Verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. My friends, the path of the wicked, that path of ignoring and neglecting God, that path of listening more to the world than to the Lord, that path of being shaped by the world's values and ideals, as enjoyable as it may seem, as sensible as it may appear, and as safe as it may sound. Listen to me. That path is headed towards everlasting ruin and eternal destruction. Just as the chaff is blown away by any and every breeze, so will the wicked, those who reject God, be swept away by the hand of God's wrath. This is serious business. My friends, this is not talking about how just to live your life now. This is talking about your eternal destiny. And and let this be clear. What you do in the here and the now will, will determine where you go forever. I just want to just, let me share with you just a quick story here. I remember a co-worker telling me once how her cousin was, I think he had just become a born-again believer, and he was sharing with her the gospel. And he was telling her that if she did not repent, then she would go to hell. And this girl was not a Christian. Um, and so she was just telling me how she didn't much appreciate her cousin's comments. And so I said to her, well, like, okay, like, if you really believe that someone was going to hell, would you tell them? And she's like, no, like, I would just probably just keep that to myself. And perhaps that's what you're thinking here this morning. That's fine if you believe that, preacher, but don't ruin my day by telling me all about it. But my friends, with all due respect to my coworker and to you, that makes absolutely no sense. If I am at the Grand Canyon and I see a man, glasses on, white cane in his hand, walking towards the cliff, I am going to shout, I am going to run over, I am going to grab him, I am going to do whatever I can to make sure that he does not plunge to his death. My friends, this is not all that we talk about. I hope you know that about us. Hell is not all that we talk about. But this is what I'm doing this morning. I, I, I am pleading with you. 
The Bible is my authority, and the Bible is our authority at this church, and so we're simply telling you what it says. We cannot force your hand when we do not want to. But we do want to tell you what the Bible says concerning your soul and concerning your eternal destiny. And I'm calling to you and pleading with you and warning you so that you might not head over the proverbial cliff into the judgment of God. How is it then that we escape this judgment? Amazingly, God has provided a way of escape to people like us who don't deserve the, who don't deserve the way of escape. If you have your Bibles open, page 448, you can turn with me there again. But this time we're going to turn to the last verse of Psalm 2, which really serves as a bracket for, or it serves as a bracket with the first verse of Psalm 1. Let me read to you Psalm 2, verse 12. Let me read this to you. Kiss the sun, or pay homage to the sun, or bow down to the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But then it says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The way of escape for you, the way of escape for me, And the way of escape for all the world is to bow down to the sun and to take refuge or to take shelter in the sun. My friends, the way of escape for coming judgment for you and for me is to turn away from our sins and to turn to the sun. And this is good news. Judgment is coming. Wrath is inevitable. But there is a way of escape. My friends, come to Christ. My friends, his arms are open wide for all who would come to him. His heart is gracious to receive all who would believe upon him. And his forgiveness is great to pardon all who would turn to him. My friends, come to Christ. Judgment is coming, but God has made a way of escape for you. If you would believe upon his son and take refuge in him. Verse 6, the psalm ends like this. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And herein we see the ultimate reason why one path is full of blessing and fruitfulness and headed towards eternal bliss and joy, and the other is not. The psalmist is telling us this, that if you are on the path of blessing, that if you reject the world's ideals and are being shaped by God's word, that God is intimately acquainted with and personally concerned about your life. But for those who would spurn God's ways and reject His word and want nothing to do with Him, well, then God has determined it in His great wisdom that just as you have rejected Him in this life, He will reject you in the life to come when He comes to establish His kingdom upon this earth. And so, my friends, which path are you on? Which picture represents you the best? And to which destination are you ultimately headed? I mentioned how um, I wanted this sermon or this text to be a tone setter for us. We're embarking on a 
new school year and a new ministry year. And what's amazing is that this psalm, along with Psalm 2, sets the tone, or it's the gatekeeper for the rest of the psalms. So I just think it's a good picture for us, for it to be a tone setter. Let this psalm, let this psalm be a tone setter for us individually, and let this psalm be a tone setter for us as the church. James always says it, does it not, that Christ, and not him, rules his church. And Christ rules his church by means of his word. Let me add this. He also gives life to his church by means of his word. And he gives life to us individually by means of his word. My friends, let us be a people who are being shaped and molded by this book. And as people who are being shaped and molded by this book, let us be like the firmly planted tree that is fruitful and prosperous in all life's circumstances. And as people who are on such a path, let us rejoice that we are a people headed for eternal bliss and joy as we are a people who have taken refuge in the Son. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this psalm. Father, I thank you for the clarity of it. Father, I thank you for the boldness of it. I thank you, Father, for the beauty of it. And Lord, I pray and I ask that you will cause us to be a people who are being shaped and molded by your word, by your life-giving truth. And Father, for those who are here this morning who don't know you, help them, Father, to see the wisdom and the beauty of your ways. Help them to see the sufficiency of Christ and, Father, how he has suffered for them out of great love for them. And Father, seeing that great love, I pray that you would cause some here this morning to come to Christ. Father, I pray that you would do these things that only you are able to do, and I pray that we would receive the joy, but you would receive the glory. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.